Welcome to Two Marks and a Mike podcast. I'm Phil. And I'm Joe. So today we're going to start off a little different. We have uh, caught wind that good old JR has come down with some skin cancer issues, and we just wanted to wish him a speedy recovery. On this episode, we're going to talk about Mr. Perfect. I don't think that there was a more natural athlete than Kurt Henning. Yeah, I agree. His in-ring ability, his microphone ability, second to none. And it wasn't just wrestling. It was just any a, role they put him in exactly over the years. Whether it was a commentator or uh, a heater or whatever he was, he fit the role perfectly. Well. Yeah, perfectly. <laughs> I didn't want to say that. It's going to be a lot of that this podcast. Probably. <laughs> want to talk about his beginnings he's, he uh, debuted in 1980 the tennessee area if i'm not mistaken i know he was in awa for a while uh he won the awa heavyweight championship from nick bockwinkle who had it for a long time so i was i didn't really uh, know any of his earlier stuff until recently you know within the last you know 10 years or so for him to how much of a big deal it was for him to get that strap off of bockwinkle and where that or legitimized his in-ring ability Exactly. And then his father was also Larry the Axe Henning. Had some success as a wrestler. Tag team champions together. Yeah. Which is one of the few times in history that's actually happened where father and son were were tag champions. Mm-hmm. Apparently, uh, Kurt Henning was a, not only was he a stellar athlete, but he was a, a quite the family man, too. He had, I think, uh, was it four children. Exactly. But anyways, back to his in-ring ability. Some of his matches that stick out in my mind were his feud with Hulk Hogan for the World Heavyweight Championship. Uh, remember when he actually took that little hammer and he broke the belt? I think mm-hmm. it was on a main event I, or something like that. I do remember that. And then his, obviously, his IC feud with Bret Hart. Some of the greatest matches of all time between those two they really went out and showed their athletic prowess for not being super huge guys especially back in the 80s and 90s it's it's definitely true when they say that he was probably the best athlete to never hold the heavyweight strap and i feel like he could have uh but unfortunately that was the era of hogan and it was hard to get that push. It's not like here where they got a new champion every other pay-per-view, you know, so. Exactly. I mean, I don't know the politicking back then, but that's probably a huge part of it. So his icy run, I don't I remember how long it was exactly in, you know, in days or months or years or whatever. But I know that it was it was a good run on his part. I know he eventually lost a strap to Brett at SummerSlam 92. Uh, he did have a couple of feuds with Texas Tornado when he first came in. I thought they uh, put on good matches together. Texas Tornado was Kerry Von Erich, for the people that don't know, mm-hmm. uh, of the, very, the famous Von Erich family out of Texas. Perfect was such a great heel at the time, and he was it was a Heenan family member. So yeah. And that was also during the time where like they dragged feuds out because there was only so many pay-per-views and television times a year. Uh, to build up storylines, so like I said, the previous podcast was it doesn't it didn't take much to get a feud going back then. Mm-mm. I remember the Rockers and some Jimmy Hart led tag team. They, they got a six month feud of out of Hart knocking Michaels in the back of the head with a megaphone. Yep. Times were simpler. Times were a little bit different back then, as hokey as they may have been in some instances. Besides, like, in-ring ability and stuff with Perfect is he was a big hunter, big fisherman. A great relationship with Wade Boggs, who ended up saving his life on a hunting trip. He got his leg caught in a barbed wire fence, and it gave him a pretty good uh, gash on his leg. If Perfect hadn't have been there, uh, Wade Boggs would have bled out. And He started off in the AWA in the 80s and then he went around to the pacific northwest wrestling this is back in the day when they had territories and stuff and the one thing about that era was there wasn't a whole lot of television so if you wanted to be in memphis you could be in memphis and the next week you could be in texas and no one knows who you are because you're not on television so he had a really good feud with carrie von eric aka the texas tornado and then that transitioned into 
a few with Bret Hart over the Intercontinental title. And they had some stellar matches. Yeah, absolutely. And then talking about that SummerSlam uh, 92 match at the Garden with Bret, and they said his back was shot at that point, and he didn't want to back out. Bret's words out of respect for Bret to put Bret over, and they knew the match that they can put on. And so he can barely walk going into that. They were just tore the roof off of, of the Garden. Yeah, they did. I remember that match uh, very well, and I remember him, the amount of pain that he, he was in. It didn't mess up the moveset, didn't mess up the flow of the match. It was two mid-sized guys doing excellent matches you know, and just putting in great quality work. And it just goes to show you the passion they had. Yeah, and their stamina was just bar none. After that, took some time off, did some commentary with Vince. Yeah, superstars, and he was a great commentator. He was. He, he turned out really well on that, and it was the, the banter with him and and McMahon were, was fantastic. I agree. And I think that was at a time where you kind of had Heenan was kind of fading out at that time. Uh, Monsoon was gone. I mean, so there was, they needed a little beef up to have that kind of heel commentator, you know, the right. and he was awesome. It had to bring in just some fresh perspective. And he could bring the psychology, all the in-ring talent that McMahon couldn't even touch. So Right, ex exactly. And then after that, he uh, aligned himself with Ric Flair. So and yeah. he's doing all these vignettes with Flair, and then that led into the infamous, like, WrestleMania 8, uh, you know, with Macho in the centerfold with Elizabeth. and That, that was one of my favorite matches. I mean, Macho kind of won the title a little underhandedly when he pulled the tights. But that match went on for a very long time. It was a great match. And that was probably the highlight of WrestleMania 8 for me. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it was, I couldn't understand why. I mean, it was like the third, ended up being the third match on the card or something like that. It was like mid-card. And because, they, you know, I'm pretty sure it was like a Hogan-Sid or something. Or I forgot what that made. Yeah, it was Hogan-Sid, Ultimate Warrior. Yeah, made his, his return. His, his one little night return. So his consultant with Ric Flair and then... At that point, it was his contract starting to come to a close. Flair's contract was coming up, too, and he wanted to go back to WCW. They had a loser leaves the Fed match on Raw after his feud with Flair and Flair leaving the company and going back to WCW. He had various manager roles and storylines. Like The one that sticks out in my mind was the one with Mark Marrow and Hunter Hearst Helmsley, where mm -hmm. it was a, he was trying to get Marrow, and he was trying to help him defeat Hunter. And he wound up doing a switch. You remember that one? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he turned on it. And I want to say, was that the first time Hunter had the IC strap? I don't remember. I mean, I know he had it a couple times that era. It could have been a second or third. I think it was his first time. I think it was his first run. And that, that was, I think it was, and even uh, Hunter says in the perfect documentary how that was, the, he couldn't think of anybody better to kind of be mentored by at that point in his career. Absolutely. Like I said at the beginning, he's probably one of the most purest athletes to ever be in the WWE or any wrestling organization for that matter. And even the older he got and even coming back after injury, he still looked good. Like there wasn't much rust. He can still move. He still had the stamina to go with younger guys. So Yeah, and then after all that, and then he... His contract came up, and he was kind of bouncing around for a little bit and decided to go to WCW, Yep. which I think that was where he had the most fun. Yeah, and I, I would probably say during that time when Bischoff was just bringing every old WWF guy in, I would say that they used, besides, obviously, Outsiders and Hogan, Kurt Henning the best at that time, like really giving him the strong push of, you're not a washed-up guy. You could be in these storylines. We could put straps on you, and you'll entertain. Exactly, and I think he did a great job. I mean, he had that whole West Texas redneck thing. Yeah, rap is crap. Rap is crap. That was actually pretty funny. I mean, you know, I didn't watch a whole lot of WCW as everyone is well-documented on this podcast that I didn't watch. 
I did catch some of that. It was it was actually kind of you know funny. I mean, it come across as slightly racist. <laughs> they could. I, I don't know if you can get away with it these days. No, <laughs> no, you probably couldn't. Yeah, and you know, and some of his like WCW stuff. Uh, you know, Art Anderson had him take a spot and as a four horseman, as the enforcer of the four horsemen, uh, which he then turned to do a heel turn on Flair. Where he obviously was like the 90 gazillionth member to join NWO, Henning was. But then they still put the U.S. strap on him, which was, I would say, is the equivalent to the IC strap of WCW at the time. And he had it for a while. But there wasn't really too much more he did in WCW before he came back in the, you know, for a last little WWE run. Right, that was like from 02 to 03. I remember he was like, he was in the Royal Rumble that year. Mm-hmm. Got to be like the final three. Yeah. I guess the company thought it was just going to be like a one night kind of thing. And, and he was there to get a job. Um, I guess it just got to the point where it just wasn't working anymore. And he was having a lot more health issues. Yeah, I think he also realized that he was going back there. But he was kind of being the guy to put over the younger guys now. And he kind of understood that was his place in professional wrestling. Where at least in WWE at the time, that was the only short you know, show in town. Um, and, but he was still like going in with Jeff Hardy and all these younger guys. And even at his age, he was still keeping up with them, which really, I mean, he, you know, later on we'll cover how he passed away when he was 44. So he was still young, but I guess in comparison and wrestling years, you know, Uh, not to divert too much. I was watching broken skull with Nash and Austin, Kevin Nash got into 28 Mm. and then Austin's like, Ooh, you're on the back end there, bud. Young, you know, and everyday walking around is not necessarily young in wrestling. Yeah. So at 44, and if you've been, I think Kurt had been wrestling at that point for 20 years. Yeah, 20, 25 years, I think. because he had wrestled from, you know, 1980, 2003. When you're in this type of business for as long as as he was, you're going to get sore, you're going to get hurt, injuries are going to compile. Because back then... It was if you didn't work, you didn't get paid. A lot of guys worked injured, and especially since we talked about TV time being so limited, like you had no choice, you had to go. When it's time to go, it's time to go. Yeah, know? exactly. So uh, you brought it up a second ago. We'll talk about his unfortunate death. Mm-hmm. Uh, he died here in Florida, and it was a uh, acute narcotic overdose, aka he overdosed to cocaine. Yeah. Um, sad to say, because you know he didn't show any signs of. Well, you'd also be naive to say that wasn't, like, the party of choice for wrestlers in that era, and you know? It's, exactly. That was the, the drug of choice for most guys because it, yeah. it gave them the energy to keep going. And, you know, it was either cocaine or steroids or both yeah. or what painkillers, you name it. But, you know, when you're on the road for 300 days yeah. out of the year and you're taking all these bumps and you yeah. get all, you know, you're, people don't realize that steroids aren't just to give you muscles and stuff. And that you take them to heal, too, you know? So it's not solely just for the, the aesthetics. Yeah, and I've... I like to think that, you know, there's a lot of wrestlers that passed away and you can automatically just be, you know, oh yeah, well, drugs or this or steroids or heart attack or whatever. And I, I truly believe that the legacy that Perfect left behind or Kurt Henning left behind uh, clearly outweighs, you know, oh. his untimely death because he's just done so much. 100%. His demons do not cancel out. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing for me with Benoit. I agree. And like I said, he, I mean, I mean, this is totally off tangent, but yeah. And then you can see that was that really the mind of Benoit, you know what I mean? You can't well, tell when you experience that. It's hard to... When your brain has become damaged beyond repair, yeah, yeah. are they really themselves? His matches with his match with Jerry Lawler for the AWA title comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a great match. Lawler said himself, he said, that's not one of my best matches. That's my favorite match. Yeah, and that's ever, think about where that's coming from. That, yeah, that means a lot. 50 plus years in the business. I mean, he definitely played his role well. 
Yeah, yeah, back in, you know, the the eighties, early nineties and you know, just where they needed him to be the heel and he was the mid card heel. My mind the Heenan family member. The only one that I can think that was more prominent than him might have been Andre the Giant. Sure. Yeah, but that's, that's just fair. because, you know, who's bigger than Andre. Yeah, a thousand, I mean? yeah, hundred percent. So I think with him, and just as his wit and his humor, he was also known as a notorious river. Yep. Um, yeah. It was nothing, like Harley Race said that he would take hot mustard and lighter food. Yeah, and, and put stick it in it, shorts. Put it in somebody's shorts. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's borderline felonious yeah. in my mind. Because, I mean, you put that in someone's shorts and it gets in their junk. That's going to be a weenie roast. Yeah, they said he would, like, cut holes in the cans of, like, their beer cans and stuff, so it would dribble on them. Yeah, and, and that stuff like that's harmless. Cut, cut a pant leg off their trunks, you know? You're on the road all the time. Your, your morale's going to get low. you got to do something to perk things, though. Yeah. So I guess that's pretty much going to wrap up Mr. Perfect, but uh, we just wanted to really touch base with you guys and say thank you for listening to us. We appreciate it. Um, the main reason that we keep our podcast as short as we do because we appreciate your guys listen to us but we also don't want to take up too much of your time yeah yeah absolutely and you, you had you know mentioned it off mic that it's like the perfect podcast for on commute to work or wherever you're going or so i think that's going to wrap this uh particular the perfect episode up um, so <laughs> we will uh we got some more stuff coming your way soon we got good episodes on the list of ideas that get through the the holidays and i can't wait it's gonna be a fun new year coming up so we will catch you guys later